Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be with you. Um, This past week, I got a chance to go down to North Carolina for a National Vineyard Conference, which was just wonderful to get together and be a part of a lot of the other vineyards and to see what God is doing and so encouraged by what he's, what God is doing. And that, and we got, and we came back on Friday and Friday also happened to be uh, Sarah's and my 17th wedding anniversary. So we got to, thank you, thank you. It's uh, just the annual reminder that I married way, way up and uh, she married a little bit further down, but it's, uh, but no, it was good. But, um, but we basically spent the entire day driving back home, you know, from North Carolina. So, you know, how romantic is that? You get to spend the whole day together, right? In the car, dealing with traffic, not knowing where you are, right? Like, that's wonderful. No, but I, so I suggested, hey, what, well, let's do something on the way home. Let's not just drive straight home. Let's try to find something along the way where we could stop and, you know, make, make a day of it, make an event. And so there was, I suggested that we stop in this small rural town uh, just over the border of Ohio, along the Ohio River, called Ripley, Ohio. And I said, let's stop. And there's this house called the Rankin House there. And some of you are thinking, oh, is that like a cute, quaint bed and breakfast? Like, no, it's not. It's not at all. John Rankin, uh, when I used to teach Ohio history as a fourth grade teacher, I, he was one of my favorite people that I would teach about and talk about because he's relatively unknown, but I believe super influential Uh, He had a super influential ministry. He was born in the late 1700s in Tennessee, and John grew up to become a pastor, probably also why I liked him a little bit. Uh, But he was also a strong advocate for the abolition of slavery. He would preach about it regularly from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, but being from Tennessee, that wasn't always well-received. Eventually, the elders of the church asked him to leave which is really sad to think about. They asked him if he moved his family to Kentucky, where he pastored there. Essentially, the same thing happened there. So he moved to Ohio. You know, he moved to the north, came across the Ohio River. He settled in this little tiny town of Ripley, Ohio, which is still tiny, by the way. I think it's like 1,500 people total still today. Um, but he bought, him and his wife and his kids, they, they bought a house, this house up on a hill overlooking the Ohio River. You wanna show this picture of it. You can see it's the, on the picture on the left, it's the house up on the top of the hill there, and that's the Ohio River down at the bottom. And it's still there today. You can go visit it. It's a museum and historical landmark. And his house was a safe house for runaway slaves. They would leave a light on, a lantern on in the window, burning all night long when it was safe for runaway slaves coming across the Ohio River to come and stay at their house, to have a day of rest, to get food, to be nourished and fed and, and have that burden of what they've been going through, uh, paused for a little bit before he helped guide them on the rest of the way and leading them to the next place as they would move further north towards Canada. And it's believed that John Rankin, his wife Jean and their family helped over 2,000 slaves during the time of the Underground Railroad. 2,000, he point, helped point 2,000 people his brothers and sisters towards freedom. 
2,000 souls that John helped move in that direction north towards, towards freedom. And John Rankin, he, he also, not just in helping, he also wrote a lot about the abolition of slavery, slavery wrote in, like, in different papers and letters. One very personal letter, which I never knew about, he wrote to his own brother, his own brother back in Tennessee who owned slaves, imploring him, please, would you set them free? Please set them free. That, that is the Christian brotherly thing to do. It was an amazing story, a cool place to visit. If you ever get a chance to do it, I would highly encourage it. Maybe just not on your anniversary. It's not really the most romantic thing to do. Uh, but I told Sarah, I'll, I'll step up my game for year 18. We'll do it something better next year. But uh, today we've come to the conclusion of our Live Free series where we've been looking at another letter, this one that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And if you've been here for the whole series or at least part of it, you're probably aware of this, but, but Paul wrote this letter. He wrote it to this, these people in Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. Uh, and he wrote it because he had gone there and he had shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them. He shared the gospel message of what Jesus had done for them dying on the cross for their sins. And all they had to do was put their faith in him and they could come and be a part of God's family. And many people there in Galatia believed became followers of Jesus and a church was born. But since Paul had been there doing that, another group of people had come in since then, a, Jew, a group of Jewish Christians known as Judaizers. And they had said, hey, that's great. That stuff about Jesus is wonderful, but there's another step. And the other step is the next thing you need to now do is you now essentially need to become Jewish. You now, men, you need to get circumcised and all of you need to start following all these, these Jewish traditions and customs and laws and you need to become Jewish. And Paul is writing this letter to say that is not true. That's not true. You don't have to do those things. Before you were a slave to your sin and now you've experienced freedom in Jesus Christ. Don't give that up and just settle for some other form of slavery of being a slave to the law. You don't need to do that. Like John Rankin did in a practical sense, in a spiritual sense, Paul's mission was to point the Galatians towards staying on a path to freedom. Paul saw that they were in danger of trading their former way of slavery just for another form of slavery. And so now we've, we've come to the end of this letter, the last chapter, chapter six, and we see how Paul's gonna drive this point home to the Galatians by talking about how. How, how do we do this? How do we live out this gospel message of freedom? And how do we do it together? How do we do it together as, as a family? How do we, so that's what we're gonna talk about today as we look at chapter six. Let me pray for us before we look, look and open up the words. Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that we have to gather together today to worship you. We don't wanna take that for granted. And as we look at this last chapter in Galatians, will you show us practical ways for us to live out this freedom, putting our faith in you? How, how do we do it together? How do we do it together as a church family? Pray that in your name, amen, amen. So just diving right into uh, chapter six, verse one, it says this. If you have a Bible or you wanna, it'll be on the screens as well, or your phone app. Uh, it says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. We'll stop right there. Just read that first verse. And really, I actually want to stop before we look at the whole first verse, because there's a lot in there. I just want to look at the first words. The first 
words. They're actually really the original first word in Greek where Paul is talking about the phrase brothers and sisters. It's actually just one word in the Greek. It's the word Adelphia. It's where we get the name uh, Philadelphia from, which means the, the city of brotherly love, right? And, and so Adelphia means brother or sister. And in 1979, the top number one R&B hit in the country was by a group named Sister Sledge. Does anybody remember what song that was? Yeah, we are family, right? I got all, you're supposed to join in. Nobody's joining in. I don't know why I feel like an idiot now, like, right? We are family, right? And I think that's what Paul is trying to say here. It's just in the very first word, he's wanting to remind us that we are family, that we are family, that we are to remember that we are a family. It's so easy to fly by that and think, oh, that's just a nice way of greeting them. No, he, Paul could have used other words here. He could have said, hey, Galatians, because they were all Galatian. That would have been true. He could have said, hey, followers of Jesus, right? That would have been true. But he chose to say, hey, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. In fact, Paul uses this phrase, brothers and sisters, 10 different times in this letter alone to remind them that, that not only are they brothers and sisters to each other, but they're his brothers and sisters. Paul, who was a different race, from a different country, a different culture, a different ethnicity, saw the Galatians as his brothers and sisters because they, had, they were together in the family of God. What would it have been like to think of that Paul saw you as his brother, right? To know that he looked at you and thought of himself as your older brother. Wouldn't that have been so encouraging to think about that? Like that he's thinking of me, looking out for me, praying for me, wanting to encourage me. But while, while, we, while, considering, uh, while being considered like family can make us feel good, it also leaves us with a level of responsibility, right? We, we are, have a responsibility for our brothers and sisters to look after them, to support them, to care for them. And I know, I know in a group this size, many of you have biological families that didn't necessarily do that very well. But there's a, probably a number of you in this room that you come from a very broken families where there's lots of hurt and pain, abandonment, abuse. But Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us that now that we are Christians, you, we are in the family of God and that we are brothers and sisters. And we need to remember that what family is supposed to be like. They're supposed to look after each other. We have a responsibility to each other as, as brothers, sisters to do that. But what does that look like? Well, Paul tells us again, verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. He says, if, if one of your brothers or sisters is caught in a sin, it's, it's brought into light and you become aware of it. Those of you who are living by the spirit you, those of you who are walking in step with the Spirit, Michael talked about this last week and we talked about learning how to walk in our exoskeleton suits, right? It can feel a little awkward at first, but as we're learning how to do that, we should restore, as much as it depends on us, we should work to restore our brothers and sisters who are living in sin with gentleness, as much as it depends on us. Now, growing up, I have, I have one brother, and let me tell you, when he messed up, I was not gentle, <laughs> I was not gracious. 
I would hold it over him. I would come down hard on him, right? But, but it's, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to something higher, something better, right? Paul says, though, he does warn us. He says, but watch yourself. Don't get sucked in too, right? Don't be tempted to fall into that same pattern of sin as your brother and sister. He says, but with gentleness, work to restore them if possible. Now, gentleness, though, doesn't mean painless. Gentleness doesn't mean easy. In fact, the word for restore here in the Greek is the word kartartizdo, and it's used and means setting a dislocated bone back into place. Now, I don't know about you, but if if you've ever had a bone pop out of place, right, it doesn't feel good. And even if the person is, a doctor is gently trying to push it back into place, it's still painful, right, until it gets back in there. It's not easy, right? But we can't ignore when we have dislocated bones in the body. We can't just walk around like this, right? Like our body's not gonna function and be functioning properly and fully uh, when we have dislocated bones. And I think the same is true for the body of Christ. When, when the body of Christ has bones that are dislocated, then we aren't living and able to do what God has called us to do. You know, we aren't able to move freely. And so often, I think we just settle for that. So often I think there are church bodies just walking around with dislocated bones saying, oh, we're okay, I'm okay, I don't need a doctor. No, you need a doctor, you need somebody to help you set that back into place. Or the other thing we'll do is we'll just cut that body part off. We'll just amputate that body part. We'll just, we're so quick to amputate people out of our lives. Well, I don't wanna be tempted. I don't wanna be tempted by your sin pattern, right? We're so quick to just cut them off and say, you know, like, and again, I understand that there needs to be repentance and all of that, but as much as it depends on us, are we working and doing what we can to help restore parts of the body back together, to, to, to bring them back into the family? You know, what if this week we examined our own family the brothers and sisters of Christ that we are close with. And we ask ourselves, is there, any, is there anybody in my life that, if I'm honest, is, I've, I've dislocated? Or I have not helped, maybe they've dislocated themselves, but I have not helped to offer to help to restore them back into the body. I've not reached out to them. I've not called them. I have not texted them. I have just ignored them or pushed them away. The body is whole, the body is healthy when those that have been dislocated are invited back in. Again, with, with, with wisdom, with discernment, it doesn't mean that we don't do that without healthy boundaries and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But like, are we aware of that or are we just quick to cut people off? And I think Paul goes on to really talk about how, well, how do we do that well with healthy boundaries? What does that actually look like? We, he calls us to carry each other's burdens but not backpacks. And I'll explain what I mean by that, but let's read verse two. It says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves for each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. 
for each one should carry their own load. Okay, now we'll come back to verse five because I want to talk about that in a second, but let's first talk about verse two. It says, verse two says, we are to help our brothers and sisters live free, essentially, by helping carry their burdens, by helping carry their burdens. And when we do this, essentially, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, it says. Now, what is the law of Christ? Jesus told us himself that you could sum up the whole Old Testament law by loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. By loving God and loving our brother and sister as ourselves. When we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ when we're loving them and helping them carry each other's burdens. Now, we all have burdens in our lives from time to time, right? Life happens, right? We have challenges. We have problems that come up that sometimes are just too much for us to carry on our own, and we need help. But we can't help a brother or sister of Christ if they're far away, if, if, if they're di we're distant from them. Timothy Keller says, you cannot help with a burden unless you come very close to the burdened person, virtually standing in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load of the other. To help someone carry a burden, we have to, again, be willing to be in physical and emotionally close proximity with them to take some of that weight under ourselves and put it on ourselves so it's distributed on both of us. Last week, I was, my oldest son was lifting weights in the basement. He was bench pressing, takes after his dad. Um, but, uh, but he had gotten to the point where he's like on his third set and he was trying to do one more rep and he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. The weight was too much. But I was right there ready with my hands to spot him to just lift just enough, just enough, just to take a few pounds off of the bar for him so that he could keep pushing the weight up, right? Now, I couldn't have done that if I was across the room or upstairs or didn't know he needed help. I had to be in close proximity with him to help him with that, with that burden. But does that mean that we carry the burden all ourselves. No. It doesn't mean that my oldest son just stops pushing and just, you know, lets me lift it all on my own. I couldn't have done that if I tried, probably. Right? It's not permission for our brother or sister to just let go of all personal responsibility for the burdens on them. It's not license for them to just be lazy or apathetic or give up. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul, and we know that because of what he says in verse five, where he says, for each should carry their own load. Now, this sounds so weird because, you know, the first time you, I read this this past week, it says, Paul, it sounds like you're contradicting yourself. Verse two, you tell us we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. And verse five, you said, well, everybody's basically supposed to carry their own load. Well, which is it? Which is it? It sounds like you're saying, you know, opposite things here. Well, it's important to know that in the, in the original Greek, again, the word for burden and the word for load, they're two different words, just like they are here, I guess, in English. But the word for burden means a heavy weight, a heavy, oppressive weight. But the word for load means like portion or a kind of a backpack, actually, kind of a backpack. Each person is given an individual backpack, he's saying, to carry. 
both of responsibilities and of opportunities that God has for me, that God has for you to do. And by definition, a backpack is meant to be carried by an individual person, right? It's meant for one person to put on. Helping someone carry a burden is not the same thing as helping someone carry their backpack. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. A couple, well, more, more than a couple years ago, a number of years ago, before Sarah and I were married, back when we were dating, we were part of a different church and we were leaders in a small group. We had some co-leaders that helped us. And one day I get a phone call uh, from a guy. We'll just call him Chris. That's not his real name, but we'll call him Chris. He called me up and he said, hey, I got your card off the turnstile at church for your small group. And I would really love to come visit your small group. I said, awesome, we'd love to have you. He said, I just have a problem. I don't have a car and I don't have any way of getting there. Would you be willing to come pick me up? And, and I said, sure, sure, absolutely. Where do you live? I'll come get you. I didn't even know where he lived yet. It wasn't quite on the way. It was sort of on the way, not really. But I, I said, I'll come and get you, no problem. Where do you live? Give me your address. He said, really? I've called six other small groups. You're the first one to, to, to come pick me up. And at that point I thought, well, I thought I was special. I didn't realize you took every car off the turnstile and was just calling them all. But so I went, we picked up Chris and in a way that was, I thought this is a way I can help carry his burden a little bit. If, I, if by me simply picking him up and bringing him to small group helps him be a part of a small group that he could never have been a part of and connect with people in the church, that's great, right? That's, that's, not, that's not too big of a deal. So did that a few times. Some other people in the group took turns picking him up and bringing him. And overall it went, it was really good. Chris seemed to participate in the group he seemed to enjoy it. He seemed to be getting some out of it. But there was also a concern in some conversations that came up uh, over the, the few weeks that I realized that the reason why Chris didn't have a car, Chris was, a couple, was about 10 years older than me, by the way, at the time too. The reason why Chris didn't have a car wasn't because his car broke down, he's looking for a car. The reason why Chris didn't have a car was because he admitted that he did not like working. He didn't, he tried work, he didn't enjoy work, and he didn't want to work. Now, again, he didn't have a, dis let me just clarify, he didn't have a disability that prevented him from working. He wasn't struggling that, I was, that he admitted or I knew of with any sort of mental health or some reason. He didn't have any reason why he couldn't work other than he just didn't like working. That's all, that's what I knew. And I thought to myself, that's probably something we should talk about down the road, but, you know, but so again, he'd been coming for a few weeks and after a few weeks, one, it was time to pray together and, and he, he uh, we were kind of going around sharing prayer requests and it was the most awkward thing. He essentially asked everybody in the group for money. He just flat out asked us all for money. And everybody was kind of looking at us as the leaders, like, what are you gonna say? What are you gonna do? And my, one of my other co-leaders, Jason, he so gracious thing kindly said, hey, hey, Chris, we would, we would love to pray for your financial situation. We would love to help you like find some resources or help you maybe find a job, but we can't just give you money. And, and some other things had happened, but I'd love to say like Chris like understood that, but Chris never called for a ride to group again, which made me sad. Chris essentially was asking us to carry his backpack for him. The responsibility of, of you know, that, that, that he was under, he was essentially asking, he wasn't asking us to carry a burden for him. He was asking for us to carry his backpack for him. You know, we each have things that God has given, has given, uh, have given us, I can speak, I do it for a living. He has given us individually to own and to carry a responsibility for. 
We are not responsible for another person's relationship with Jesus. We aren't. We can guide them. We can point them to him. We can teach them ways of growing in a relationship with Jesus and giving them tools. But but we are not responsible for each person's individual relationship with Jesus. As a dad, part of my responsibility and part of my backpack is towards my children. You know, and I might need help every once in a while with picking up from school or dropping off at practice, but, but ultimately the responsibility of dad, God has put that on me. And I can't put that on somebody else. I can't even put that on Sarah. My wife, that, she's, she's got enough responsibility as mom. Right? That's my responsibility, my backpack to carry. You know, as, as one of your pastors, part of my backpack is my responsibility to you all. If I just decided tomorrow I wanted to join the PGA tour next year and and I'm just gonna go golfing every day, which by the way, I don't play golf, so that would take a lot of work. <laughs> but if I just did that and thought, I'm just never available to you all because I'm golfing every all day, then, then and I'm putting that, that burden on Bill and the other pastors, Michael and the other staff, like that's not fair to them all, that's not fair to you all. There's a difference between helping lighten the burden for somebody and carrying their backpack for them. And so with discernment, and with prayer, and with wisdom, I think some of us have brothers or sisters in our lives right now that we need to take before the Lord. And we need to ask this question, is this a burden, God, you are asking me to help with? Is it? Then I want to do it. Then I want to do it to help carry that part for them. Or is this part of their backpack? Is this part of their backpack? Because sometimes I think we get crushed by trying to carry our own backpack, and three other people's backpacks, right? Thinking, well, I'm doing what God has called me to do. Meanwhile, I'm just getting crushed by the weight of the responsibility of other people. When God hasn't called you to do that, when God hasn't called you to do that, it's okay to ask God to show you where the boundary line is. It's okay to have boundaries with people and to ask him where they are and to stay in sync with that. Because When you carry someone else's backpack for them, you might actually be getting in the way of what God is trying to do in their lives. You might think you're helping when you're not actually. Maybe God is trying to teach that person some responsibility for their lives. And and you mean well, but you actually might be getting in the way of that. And that can be hard to to hear right now. But we can pray about that. And again, with wisdom and discernment, ask God to show us where that line is. And if you have some issue like that in your life, you know, like, and you need help with discerning that, please, you know, please reach out to me, Michael, Bill, one of the other pastors, anybody, you know, here, we would love to sit down with you and walk through that with you and maybe help, help give some counsel. Now, we're gonna keep moving though, just for time's sake. Um, Galatians 6, uh, verse seven through 10, it says this, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. God says he will not be mocked. Justice will be done down the road. Let us not grow weary and tired of doing good, especially 
to our brothers and sisters, to our brothers and sisters, we need to, again, we need to remember that we're family, right? So whoever sows to please, he says, their flesh, their sinful nature now, well, in the end, it won't go well for them. It won't go well for them. But whoever sows to please the spirit in the end will reap eternal life. And so here we've come to my third and final point, and that's this, so what? So what, right? As Paul is wrapping up this whole letter, it begs the question, so what? And I know, and a bit of a pun here, right? Paul basically answers his own question. He says, so don't stop doing good. So don't stop loving others. Don't stop working to restore those who have been dislocated from the body. Don't stop working to, to, to help the family of God. Don't stop carrying each other's burdens. Maybe you need to let go of some backpacks of other people, but don't stop working to, to love and carry and help lift other burdens. Keep sowing those seeds. Keep sowing those seeds of goodness because the law of nature is that in time they will grow. It will happen. It's a fact. It will produce good fruit, right? What God is doing in and through you that is good and of him will produce good fruit. So in the end, don't stop doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. Uh, there's a lot more I'd love to say on that. So you could do a whole sermon on this topic, this, this verse alone. In fact, we are gonna do that in a couple months. We have it planned, just talk about sowing and reaping more. But I wanna invite the worship team up now, just for sake of time, and I'll wrap up with this. Remember, carry, sow. Remember that we are family. We are brothers and sisters, and we are called to carry our brothers and sisters' burdens, and we are called to sow seeds. Sow seeds of the Spirit. Remember, carry, sow. These are all words that are calls to action. They're all calls to action. These are all words of, of doing, of moving. John Rankin chose to move, literally to move his family to a new state. He moved to buy a house on a hill, not to experience his own freedom. He already had that, but to literally be a light on the hill to guide others to freedom. He got close with them. He invited them into his home. He helped lift the burden off of them for just a short time, just to feed them, give them rest, give them a safe place for a day or two. But he couldn't carry their backpack for them. They had to continue on the journey north. He had to stay behind. He couldn't do that for them. He could encourage them and then send them on their way. We who have been invited into freedom who've experienced the freedom of Jesus Christ and what he offers us are called to point others to that and invite others to that. We do that by, again, remembering who's our family. This week, who do we need to remember is our family? Who do we need to remember as our brothers and sisters in Christ? This week, who can we help carry a burden for this week? You know, what are we sowing in the spirit that's of the spirit out into the world, this, that we can do more of this week. What's he calling us to sow this week? That we are doing as an act of faith, an act of trusting in God that, that someday it will, will produce good fruit. We might not see it for a long time, but we, as an act of faith, what is he inviting us into to sow seeds of his spirit into this week, this week? 
Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.